part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You know, you can get into great, deep theological uh, talk and discussion about man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Sometimes it seems like those are opposing one another. Uh, I think uh, a better way of looking at it is that they're actually pretty coordinated uh, at times, that God's uh, uh, sovereignty over all things, man's responsibility, what he's called us to. But sometimes, guys, guys there's, there's just going to be things that God just does. <laughs> and he keeps man's responsibility. You know, We don't even have a say in it. And when we were just talking there, that, that second uh, song about the one day that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, what it talks about in Philippians, that's going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to be a persuasive will that happens. It's not going to be going to be one of those that a compliant will, I guess, is, is a better word, uh, that man. But every person who's ever lived will bow and recognize the authority of Christ, who Christ really is, and he will be given that honor. And for some, it will be that boldness that they uh, lie, maybe that they resisted all their life. Maybe others that, uh, that, that thought maybe they had lived in compliance to that but, but didn't understand it. And then others, uh, perhaps like us, that have just tried to, to be obedient to that as much as we can. But, but those things are going to happen. And so when we proclaim those things here on earth now, presently, before they actually happen, it's just practice for that day when we can say it with full heart, without reservation, without distraction or anything else that he is Lord. And it will be truly like in Isaiah chapter 6 when we just we see the throne room of God, we see the majesty of who Christ is. And I guarantee you, we won't need lyrics up on a screen. We won't need anything else. It's just the proclamation of our heart. The heartbeat will come out and we'll be able to speak truth. But until that time that we're in that place of ultimate truth, we are always going to have God's truth and it's always going to have a battlement with uh, either Satan's lies or our own fallen nature. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. It's the struggle of human life, but it's even the struggle of the Christian life. And just because we're Christian, just because we you know, have come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, doesn't mean that we get escapism out of this battle of who's going to be the prevailing voice in our ear when it comes to the end of the day. When we put our head on the pillow to go to sleep at night, are we going to rest in the promises of God and what God's word declares and his truth, and we know it to be that, are we going to allow those worries and those fears that we talked about last week? Is that last little whisper before we go to bed, is it going to be that whisper of the unknown? Well, last week we looked at that. How the resurrection, how Easter is all about God giving us victory. And Easter is this, just this majesty of victory. I mean, we sing songs like, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. I mean, uh, I remember as a kid, we used to sing that in our church. And, and uh, uh, that's when we had organ and piano. If you can remember those days that they had an organ. And, and it seemed like the lady with both hands and both feet started playing that organ. I mean, it was that loud and that majestic. And she just kind of, you know, up from the grave he rose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And it's like, even as a little kid, I can remember going, yeah, we win. I don't know the whole details, but we win. And it was just exciting. And so last week we saw how Easter, this victorious day, is to give us victory over the fears of the unknown. But when we go on and we read a little bit more of this Gospel of John, that was John chapter 20, we see that it doesn't end there. It's one of those things that that God is always working His sovereign plan. He's always... 
uh, working things to, for our good, the Bible says, to those who have trusted and believed him. And yet we still have this battle that goes on. And, uh, you know, there's the unknown that we have fear of. But today we're going to look at a passage. What about the known that we know of? Our own failures. There's times when we thought that the cut was here and we don't quite measure up. I've met a lot of very confident people in my life, and yet I have never dealt with one person in my entire life. I've never met one person in my entire life that was so confident that they did not see some exposure of their own frailty and their own failures. Truth is, most of us, most of us, it kind of dominates our mind and our heart a whole bunch more than we would let on. Some of the most confident people that you've ever met, you know, their their personalities, they're laughing all the time. That, that's kind of a front because behind it, it's not just insecurity, but it's dealing with those failures, those places where they don't feel like they quite measure up. We, we mask it in a thousand different ways. Bottom line is, I don't think that it really matters to Satan whether he gets you with the fear of the unknown or if he traps you into the uh, failure of the known convicting you right where you sit of your sin and your failures and your, your shortcomings. I mean, think about it. If you're saying, does it really matter which one of those he trips you up? Does it really matter how he gets you in a noose and keeps you away from God and in the intimacy of a relationship of trusting in Christ? Does it really matter to him? No. And so in John chapter 20, we see how the disciples are hiding behind this hidden, this locked wall because of the fear of the unknown. And yet when we read on, we begin to see that even though we have this proclamation in Romans 8.15 that we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but that you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what the resurrection is all about. That we're not falling back into a place of fear, but that now we have this relationship. Is this relationship based on... You know, our goodness? No. Is it based on our accomplishments? No. It's based on one thing, the finished work of Christ, and trusting and putting our faith in him. And so that's why we can declare this, Paul says, in Romans 8, 15. This is what makes you a son or daughter. Not because you've been obedient son or daughter, but because you are a son and daughter bought by the blood of Christ. So knowing that, we begin to read and we're going, okay, this would be a, a great way to, to end the book. In fact, John chapter 20, uh, if, you're, if you've already turned to John chapter 21, turn back just a page or look there at the end of John chapter 20 and look at verse 30 and 31 and, and tell me if this would not be a great way to end the gospel of John. I mean, it's almost as if he's writing to sum up his gospel of 20 chapters now And would this not be a great ending? Look what he writes. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, John's saying, look, I couldn't even write down all the different things that Jesus did. It'd be a a volume this big. Verse 31. But these are written, why? Somebody just say that out loud. Why are these things written? Why did John write this gospel? so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing what? You have life in his name. 
He said, I recorded these things, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I recorded a lot of them, but not nearly all of them, because there's more than I could ever write down. But I've done it with the purpose so that you might know that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He's the Son of God, and that by believing this, you might have life. Is that not the battle, folks? Is that not the battle? We have God wanting to give us life. We have Satan wanting to go, I don't want you to have life. Not that life, not abundant life, not a, not a life that you can know that you're a son or a daughter. And, and so here's the tug of war, here's the tension that we have, even as Christians. I mean, it'd be one thing that once you get saved, you get dunked, you get wet, they dry you off, and you're going, man, I'm glad that whole battle's over. Theologically, it is set and sealed, not because you got baptized, but because of the work of Christ and putting trust and faith in that. But my goodness, for the life, for the life of the Christian. We're going to have this tug of war going, okay, I believe, I really do believe, but man, why do I struggle then? And why do I fail sometimes? Why sometimes do I not live up to everything that I know to be true, when in my heart I really want to, and yet why does pride take over? Why does selfishness take over? Why does just insecurity take over? So we begin to look into God's Word. And what seems to be a perfect ending, John doesn't end there. And I'm glad that he didn't. Because he talks in chapter 21 about one more power of the resurrection. And it's not just the uh, giving us victory over the unknown, but over the known. John 21 tells the story of Peter after his denial. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Peter was kind of, the, if you want to say the head disciple in one way, he would consider himself the head disciple. He had one of those personalities, one of those leadership traits that everybody kind of followed him, even if he was going the wrong way. And, and Peter was just one of those guys that, you know, if there was 12 guys in the room, Peter was the one going to stand up and say, you know, I think we need to take those chairs over there. And the other 11 guys would start taking the chairs over there. Peter was just that kind of guy. He's kind of the leader. And, and even in his own mind, he was that kind of person. And there's this profession that Peter makes before Jesus when Jesus says, okay, Peter, you need to be praying for yourself because you're going to be sifted like wheat. You're going to you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's response is classic. I don't know about these other 11, by that time 10. I just know I would die before I would deny you. Do you see what he makes in that proclamation? Number one, he elevates himself over the other 10 that are left. And then he makes this proclamation of that death could not separate me from fulfilling what you've called me to do, Jesus. Now I want you to ask, answer a question for me this morning. Do you believe that Peter believed that with all of his heart? I do too. Do you think that he was sincere? Yeah. So here's the thing, guys. Your sincerity and my sincerity... As much as we want to be sincere people, does sincerity always cut the bill? Does it, does it always finish the task? That just because we're sincere, just because we really want it to be that way, we really want to be this kind of dad, that kind of mom, that kind of husband, or that kind of wife, we want to be this kind of Christian, that sincerity all by itself finishes the task. For you that may be unaware, Peter does go on to deny Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times, just as Christ predicted. 
and in one way, it's kind of embarrassing because one was even a little girl. I think you were with Jesus. No, it wasn't me. I mean, he could not, at that point, when he started to fall, he could not even stand up to maybe one of the most innocent of, of our, of the, the least tempting of situations where his life really wasn't threatened. Can you imagine the failure? Can you imagine the, the weight of that? This is why I want to tell you about three moments of truth in every failure for a Christian. This is only applying to those who put faith and, and, and trust in Christ. Uh, for, for those who are not Christians, you're still considering, you're, you're thinking, the first two are true of you. The third one is not your opportunity yet, but is your opportunity today. In other words, it's not a truth that you can claim yet, but when you put your trust and faith in Christ, you can make this claim instantly. Three moments of truth that come with every failure. And the first one is right there when Peter fails. And that is the reality of your failure. Look what it says now in John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter, who was with them, said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. See, here's the natural leader. (laughs) He goes, I think I'm going to go fishing. Now, again, this is after the denial. This is after a resurrection. This is after Jesus has shown himself not once but twice to the disciples. We don't really know how many days exactly this is after the resurrection, but it's probably about a week afterwards. Okay, we've got some time. He's shown himself twice. And Peter, even though he has got joy that Christ is risen from the dead, just as he said, he's still dealing with this failure. He's still contemplating, what what do I do with the rest of my life? Because is my call still solid? I know that God called me to be this rock. He called me to be this, you know, this one that he could build a church, the kind of faith that he could build a church upon. But I think I've blown that. I think my three denials was was any indication that I'm not worthy of that. And there's no way that he can build his church upon this kind of wishy-washy faith. So what does he do? He is what so many, guys, we can relate to this, especially every male in here. He goes back to what he can do well. I mean, what do we do when we fall? <laughs> what do we do when we fail? We go back to something that, is just, you know, that we know we can succeed at. Because why? Because we hate failure. All humanity hates failure. But guys, because of our pride, that double dose of pride that we have, man, we hate failure a whole bunch. And so what does he do? He goes back fishing. The others go with him. And yet, look at the last part of that verse. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been one of those places where you go back to the old standard? Okay, you blew it, so you go back to something that's a little bit commonplace, something that you know you can succeed at, and you can't do that. I'll never forget the day. I was, uh, I was probably in my mid-30s. And I was with some youth at a camp. I was a speaker at a camp and, uh, in Myrtle Beach. And they had these uh, batting cages. And some of the kids were out there, all coming in 75, 80 miles an hour. And they were missing them left and right. I'm a baseball player. I played in my day. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll get out there and I'll be the cool, you know, pastor. And I get out there, and, you know, I get up there, and about that time, you know, put in the money, got the, the, the machine going, got up there. And that first one, I, I promise you, the sound of it hitting the back of that target, I was not even starting my swing yet. That's how slow I was. I mean, I saw the ball, and about that time I reacted to it, it had already hit the back of it. 
And I found out real quick that I was old and worn out. And I was not the man that I used to be at the plate. You know, thought I could go back to something that I'd done and probably done pretty well when I was a kid. And I was not a kid anymore. Peter's here and he goes back to fishing. And that night they catch nothing. Look what happens. Verse 3. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? What do they answer? How do you think they answered? Now, it's just a one-word answer that we have recorded there. No, I don't think it was that kind of no. Now, we have to be careful whenever we interpret how a word is interpreted. But I don't think it was, no, but we're fine. You know, a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work. You know, that kind of, you know, I don't think that was the response. I think Peter was really wanting some kind of resolve by going back to something that was familiar. Uh, again, I don't know how much he was contemplating going back into the family business, that he thought his whole disciple and, and leading the church life was over. I don't know how much of that he's really kind of struggling with, but he goes back to the familiar. He's failing at the familiar, and then there's this voice. He doesn't know who it is, but there's somebody there on the shore that says, Have you caught any fish? No. It's, it's like the time, and again, not that I'm just preaching to the guys this morning, but guys, we can relate to this. It's the refrigerator. It's the vacuum cleaner. It's the sink. You're in there fixing it. And your wife means nothing by this. She means nothing, absolutely nothing by it. Have you got it fixed yet? I mean, nothing by it. She's just inquiring. And you already, I mean, you're already to the point where a preacher will cuss. I mean, you're, you're kind of already, you're already at that kind of point. You're so frustrated. You're failing. You're not getting it fixed. And she means nothing by it, but she rounds the corner. Have you got it fixed yet? I think that's about maybe how this came off. You know, do you have any fish? No. Do you want to try? But look what happens. Verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Have we ever seen that in the Bible before? Have we ever seen that in Peter's life before? His original calling when he was having a frustrating day of fishing and, and this itinerant preacher, this carpenter's son goes, hey, why don't you try the other side? And he, they catch so much fish that they can't even pull it in. And that was the original calling. And that's when he drops his nets and he goes to be fishers of men instead of just fishers of fish. In God's grace, in God's love, I believe that he kind of recreates that situation here. Hey, Peter, I just want you to know, in the same way that I called you three years ago, I'm still that Lord. I'm still the master over the seas. I'm still the master over the fish of the sea. I'm still the master over... I am still a master over everything. Your failure has not kept me from being master. And guys, that is the lie that Satan would love for us. Now, can we mess up things? Yeah. I'm not, again, please do not hear any of this as reducing man's responsibility. Somewhere, man's responsibility, God's sovereignty, interact... And, and we don't know how and where 
that works. I just know that God is sovereign over all things. And my failure does not negate his mastery. And that's the peace that we can have. That's the peace in the midst of our failures. So, so he does this. And look what happens in verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. He's actually writing this book. He doesn't name himself um, by name, but John's writing this gospel. And he says, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Hey, I remember this. I remember this story. That's Jesus. Now, they didn't know that it was Jesus, maybe because of the fog of the morning. Maybe it's just not quite daylight yet. But about that time, they recognized that that voice and this person who said, have you caught any fish? Is Jesus. And look what happens. Peter, always known as the calm one out of the, out of the bunch. He's the least calm of all of them. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Verse 8. The other disciples came, in, uh, came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. What happens here? Peter, knowing now that this is the Christ, just jumps in. It's kind of miraculous because they must have been much better swimmers in that day than today because it says they were not much, you know, not far off. A hundred yards. When's the last time that one of you swam a hundred yards of football field? I mean, that's a pretty long. It's not that it was knee-deep water. He's out there in the sea, and yet he is so anxious to see Christ, be with Christ. There's this need that he wants to be with Christ. See, that's what happens in the midst of our failures. There's a part of us, let's be real honest, that kind of doesn't want to be around Christ. Why? Because that conviction of sin, that, that conviction that we're not worthy. And then there's a part of us that says, but I need Christ. And I think that's the tension that we see in Peter's life here. We see a part of him going, man, maybe I just go back to fishing. Maybe I just get, you know, get as far away from this whole disciple gig as, as I get. I get far away from this calling. I've blown it. I'm not worthy of it. And so I just get back to this place. And yet once he identifies that it is Christ there on the shore, everything within him wants restoration. Everything within him wants that relationship back. Second moment of truth in every failure. First moment, that we failed. Second moment, that it's caused a strain, a, a, a hurt, a separation. There's a distance between what was and what is. It can happen in marriage. It can be as simple as you're going out the door in the morning and you leave a little gruff. And so for the next eight hours, nine hours, ten hours, there's that little separation. There's a part of you that, you know, now we can just text, hey, sorry about that. Or we can call, sorry about that. In the old day, just had to wait kind of the eight hours and get back and say, man, I blew it this one. I did not mean to, to be yelling when I left. I was just in a bad mood. But that second part, that second moment of truth of, of every failure is realizing that it costs something, that there really is a cost to this. See, that's the man's responsibility part that we cannot discount. I'm a grace person. I'm going to preach grace until I take my last breath. And yet, 
it's not cheap grace. It costs Christ his very life. And, and for us to discount sin, for us to say, well, just go do whatever you want to. It's not biblical. Paul preached against it. And folks, it is not the truth. And so we have this reality of our failure and we have this moment of truth about it's cost something. There's a distance. There's something that is lost. And there's this reality that we want it back. He jumps out about 100 yards off and he swims in to be there with Christ. Maybe you can identify with Peter, you know, discouraged and defeated and, and desperate. Well, here's the good news. As we finish the story, as we see what happens, we begin to see that Christ invites them in, just as we saw last week. Remember Thomas, if you were here last week, doubting Thomas? And, and did Christ insult him because of his disbelief, his lack of belief, or did he invite him to believe? He invited him. Well, Thomas, you, were, you weren't here like the other guys when I, when I was here the first time. Thomas, I invite you, come touch my side where the sword pierced me. Touch my hands where the nails were. Instead of getting insult and getting pushed away, we get an invitation from Christ. Not because we deserve it, but because he's gracious. He's loving in the midst of our unbelief, in the midst of, of, of this failure, he doesn't say, I just push you away. He invites them in and he has breakfast prepared. He said, can you bring some of those fish? And he bre- prepares a breakfast and they, and they eat. And then look what happens in verse 13. Simon, son of John. Now he's talking to Peter. But, but, but Simon, son of John, That's who Peter was before the call. It's very important. Before his call as a disciple, who was he known as? Simon, son of John. That was his identity. He's identified by his name, and his name is identified by his father. When Jesus calls him, he gives him a new name, a new calling to go with that calling, this new name, But what does Christ do here? He goes back to this original name before the calling. So, okay, Peter, if that's kind of what you're thinking, if this is what you're contemplating in your mind, that you've lost the call, that somehow you've lost what I've called you to because of your failure here, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Theologians would love to know what these are. These fish? These other ten disciples that are left, we really don't know. You can make a case for both. You can make a case that he's talking about the fish. Do you you love me more than than these, these fish? Is that really what you want to go back to? That was your original vocation, you were a fisherman. Is Is that what you want to go back to? Do you love me more than this? You can make a case that he was talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other ten? You made that proclamation that you loved me more, that you were willing to die and they weren't. I could make a theological case, kind of a a substantial case for either one. Uh, Fact is, I don't think we really know what he's talking about. I I do think that we can know this, though, that the question is is rather straightforward, perhaps with a, a context of all those things. And basically what he's saying, Peter, what is it that you're going to make priority in your life? At the end of the day, Peter, how are you going to judge what is truth and what is not? Well, I'm just like Peter. 
You're just like Peter. At the end of the day, isn't that the challenge? To really know what is truth. To know how we're going to judge the victory or the failure of the day, the acceptance or, or the being pushed away from God. At the end of the day, what is it that we really believe that makes us right with this holy God? And Jesus calls Peter by his name before the call, and, and he, uh, but I want you to know that he does that not to, to say, okay, you've lost this calling. Folks, I no more believe that God uncalls somebody than he unsaves somebody. I just don't see it biblically. I I believe in uh, eternal security of the believer, not because we're good and that that we preserve. I I believe that the finished work of Christ is that exact. For everything that Christ has done to save me, I don't think that it it would have to be undone, not by my merits, but by Christ, for me to lose my salvation. In in the same way that we can't be unsaved, I don't think we can be uncalled. If God has placed a call upon your life... I don't think he uncalls. I don't think he says, you know, you blew it. You know, you just really blew that. So I uncall you. I unfriend you. You know, is that, that God, you know, goes to his Facebook page every night and he goes, you know, Bobby, unfriend it. It's not what we see biblically. I felt that way before. And if we allow feelings to be the final determination of truth, we can feel that way. But there's three moments of truth of every failure. The reality of the failure, the cause of the failure, and we're about to see the third moment of the truth, but this is for believers. And I'm not trying to be, you know, mean to the people. If you're here and say, you know, I'm not a believer, I come because I have to, or this, but I want you to know that this is, based on the work of Christ. So it's not based on goodness. It's not, okay, this is the good side, obviously. And this is the bad side, obviously. <laughs> and okay, and so y'all don't get it because you're not good as this. No, it's all based on Christ. So it's not, okay, the good people get this and the, the not-so-good people don't get this. No, it has nothing to do with our goodness. It has everything to do with what was done when Jesus was uh, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. It was that work that is the determination of this third moment of truth to every failure. He asked him three times, Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. He asked him a second time. He asked him a third time. A whole other sermon about the intimacies of, of that dialogue that goes on there. There's a lot of nuances to that. But for this morning, uh, we're just going to see that he said it three times. One time, two times. And the third time, Peter finally has that synapse. Have you ever been in a discussion and you're kind of lost in the discussion and finally about three-fourths of the way through, you're going, oh, okay, that's what you were talking about. Peter gets it. On that third time that Jesus says, do you love me? Do you, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Look what he says, verse 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Grieved why? Because I think now he's made that connection between his three denials and Christ asking him three times, do you love me? 
not to prove his love, but to, to restore him to a place of that call that was there before. And so he's grieved. And since he was grieved, why? Because he said it to him the third time. He, this grieving was because of the third time. He's made a connection in his mind. Three denials, three questions, and three commissions. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, what? Say it out loud. You know everything. Third moment of truth of every failure, guys, for the believer. You can't go with your emotions. You can't go with what your neighbor said. You can't go with what your brother says. At the end of the day, guys, you got to go with, Lord, you know everything. And it's your truth and only your truth that I can rest in. I can't rest in my feelings because my feelings are all over the place. I can't rest in an opinion of somebody else. Oh, you're not worthy of this anymore. Because I'm going to meet some people that say, man, blow it off. It's no big deal. And they're not even going to see that there is a weight of that sin. At the end of the day, folks, the only opinion that matters, the only truth that really matters for the, for the believer is this proclamation. Lord, you know everything. So it's your word that I'm going to rest in. Your word that's going to give me a security of heart and mind, even when I don't feel it, even when it's not logical to me. And look at the rest of that verse. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three denials, three questions, three calls back, commissions back to to who he was in Christ, back into relationship, back to fellowship, That's the power of the resurrection. Now let me end this way. Let me ask you this once again. Do you think it really matters in your spiritual life if Satan trips you up with the fear of the unknown or with the failure of the known? At the end of the day, do you think it really matters to him going, man, I just wish I really got more people scared of the unknown than the guilt of the known. Do you think it really matters to Satan at the end of the day which way that we're that a, a wedge is placed between us and filling this rest in, in our relationship with Christ? I don't think it does. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer, if you ever read the Screw Tape Letters, excellent book on the mindset of uh, kind of demonic thought. That sounds really dark, and it's, it is kind of a, a little bit of a dark book, but it's, it gives you that mindset, okay, really doesn't matter. And in that book, this older demon is talking to this young demon. And he says, you know, you, you want to get the big sins. You always want to trap them up with this and this and this. And he says, let me give you a little trick of demonology. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's big, big, big. All that matters is you get that wedge in there. You start driving that wedge. Folks, that's the reality of it. Some of you are this morning dealing with the fear of the unknown and that anxiety of the unknown scares you to death. And it really keeps you from trusting and maybe even moving forward in your spiritual relationship. Then others, you're dealing with the known. 
you knew what you did this week or that you blew it. And that, or you're not the dad you want to be or you're not the, the husband you want to be, the wife you want to be, the mother you want to be, the son or the daughter that you want to be. And you're dealing with the known part and that's driving that way. Folks, it does not matter saying I'm convinced it doesn't. But there is an answer. And it's not on how you feel about it. It's not how you compare good people to the bad people and how everybody kind of ranks out in goodness. It all comes down to one thing. Lord, you know everything. So what is it that you have said? And here's what Christ has said. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Now the Apostle Paul writes this. But, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. And here's the truth of the gospel. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might redeem, receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's gospel truth. It's not my version of, man, I I wish this was true. This is what God has proclaimed. This is the hope of the gospel. Not that my, again, let's not negate sin. Let's not say that sin doesn't matter. Go out there and live however you want to. No. What was the second truth of, of, of every failure? It has a cost. It brings hurt. It brings hurt into my life. It brings hurt into the people that love me. When I fell, there's hurt that is spread there. We don't diminish that. We don't diminish the hurt of sin, but we make much of the victory of Christ. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, And those competing voices are trying to whisper in your ear of how you evaluate your day and how you anticipate the next day. You have a choice. Who are you going to listen to? And my prayer and my hope is that we would be able to bear ourselves in the truth of the gospel. And that just as Peter said on that third time, Lord, you know everything. And that it would bring rest to our hearts and to our lives. God doesn't uncall. He doesn't unchoose. He gives grace and forgiveness. And he invites us to restoration. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you that you are an inviting God. Father, so oftentimes in in our own human mindset, we think that maybe we're the ones that that knocked on heaven's door so that we could come in. And and yet, Father, you invited us to to, to come in. You're the one that even stirred up our heart to even think about coming to you. So, Father, this morning I pray that we would know the truth of this gospel. Father, I pray for those that are dealing with failure or the failure of, of others around them this day, that, Father, that they would be able to put it into a biblical perspective. Father, I don't know how many times I've ended a sermon, ended a week of ministry and, and felt like a complete failure. Felt like you had almost uncalled me, that I just needed to go off and do something else. And yet your amazing grace would always say, Bobby, I don't uncall. I don't unchoose. I just give grace and mercy. 
and I restore by invitation. And so, Father, this morning, for those that need restoration, maybe they have fallen even this week, Father, I I pray that that you would uh, uh, allow them to hear the truth. Just as Peter, I I cannot imagine the depth of Peter's pain. And yet, Father, I I cannot imagine what it must have been like when Peter realized that the cross and burial and resurrection was the very antidote, the very remedy of that failure of his own personal sin. So, Father, call us today. You've been so good to us. You've allowed us to come as a family. You've allowed us to come and hear your word. We were able to to worship and sing praise to you before. And now, Father, will you just help us say, this is what we believe. Can we make a proclamation this morning before you, God, not of our truth, but of your truth? And, Father, that we would proclaim with our voices and with our minds and with our hearts this very morning, this is what we believe. We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.